Hi, and welcome to the Brave Parenting Podcast. I am your host and the founder of Brave Parenting, Kelly Newcomb, and this is where you'll get the encouragement, insight, and information you need to raise kids of character and our culture of technology and temptation. We call it Brave Parenting because it takes courage and hard work to keep on top of changing technology and to decide how to incorporate that into your family's life. Our goal is to keep you educated and equipped to raise your tech-savvy kids. Welcome to today's show. Well, today we're going to be taking a look at the third installment of addiction, whether or not it's addiction, problematic usage, or overusage. And today, talking about the very popular topic of video gaming. The past two episodes, we've talked about smartphones. We've talked about social media. Video gaming is an omnipresent sort of entertainment that we have in our culture today. There are 2.7 billion gamers in the world right now, and they're spending $159.3 billion on gaming in just 2020 alone. So gaming is a huge industry. Most games are developed for the PC, followed by the smartphone or device, and then console as well. So PC gaming is sort of where it's at. But again, we can often see our kids playing on their smartphones, and we as parents might feel like they're addicted or playing on their Xbox or PlayStation and feel like, hmm, I think this is problematic. So today, we're going to look at what that really looks like. Is it clinically diagnosable? And whether or not we as parents can sort of identify that and what we can do about it. So let's take a look at the definitions that we've used previously and apply that to video gaming. The Merriam-Webster defines addiction as a compulsive need for and use of a habit-forming substance characterized by tolerance. So often when we look at video games, yeah, our kids kind of feel like a compulsive need, even at the youngest of ages of toddlers. Maybe they're in the grocery cart or they're in the car, they're somewhere where they're having to wait, they're a little bit bored. They feel that compulsive need to want mom or dad's phone in order to play those games on there. So it starts very young. And is it addiction when a three-year-old is playing a, you know, alphabet game on their parent's phone? Certainly not. But because it is engaging, because it is entertaining, there can be a compulsive need for it. Another definition, and we use this one a lot with smartphones and social media, is from the American Society of Addiction Medicine. And it states that addiction is a primary chronic disease of brain reward, motivation, and memory-related circuitry. So when we think about the reward that the brain gets when playing a video game, and how that reward motivates a child or even adult, right, into playing more and doing more. And that memory of that experience, that is where we really find that compulsive need. It feels good to play video games. It feels good to have a win. It feels good to, even in the middle of a game, be leveled up or are in this loot box or, you know, have something really good happen. And it's those rewards and that motivation and that memory that really drives kids to continue playing. Now, part of this definition says that it's a chronic disease. One thing that we know about video gaming, as far really in smartphone and social media, is that if you were to take a child away from that sort of technology, put them in maybe the wilderness for a camp for two to three weeks, they actually lose a lot of that compulsive desire. It's when it's constantly available to them that they always feel it. So when we look at it as a chronic disease, we can think, hmm, 
In some cases, video gaming could become chronic, but in most cases for our children, it's really just more of a compulsive need because it's entertaining and fun. A third definition by dictionary.com states that addiction is the state of being enslaved by a habit or practice. Now, again, enslaved is a pretty strong word. Do our kids feel that they are a slave to that game, that they have to? Well, oftentimes when it comes to kids who may be streaming their video game play and they have sort of, quote, fans or other people that are just expecting them to either put up content or to be a part of this game, then there can definitely feel a bit of enslavement in that. And that could definitely be concerning. We'll talk about streaming in just a little while. But if you have a child who feels that way, definitely an area where we have to evaluate the situation and say, is this addiction? Is this overusage? Or is this maybe a little bit of problematic usage? And I honestly feel like during this pandemic, we can kind of say, is this just situational usage? I know in my home over the past six months, video games have been used a lot more simply because there really wasn't a whole lot else to do. We exhausted every board game. We exhausted every potential entertaining way that we know as a family of nine to sort of engage. And so there would be times when they would play more video games than I would normally allow if there wasn't a pandemic. Well, let's look at a few warning signs that we as parents can kind of look at video gaming and this internet gaming and say, do I really have a problem here with my child? It always is going to feel that way because we feel like our kids should be um, more producing. They should be reading books. They shouldn't be playing video games. I know in my mind, that's the first thing I go to is go read a book. But unfortunately, that's just not how our kids are entertained these days. So what are some warning signs? Well, one would be playing for an increased length of time. And of course, as I just mentioned, that may be very situational right now where they are playing more. But as school goes back and life continues to return a little bit more normal and more normal every day, we should see a decreased length in time of play. But if, for example, our kids are sneaking time at night, or say you are allowing two hours on a Saturday and a Sunday, and they're always taking more behind your back, or you leave home and they're getting on, that would be a concern that they're sneaking all of this extra time. Another warning sign may be gaming to escape difficult life situations. Now, first, I want to clarify that You know, there is that idea that life is too hard and I am just going to go into this game because the game is fun and the game is, um, I have control really, right, of this game. The real world is hard and school is hard and interacting with peers is hard, right? Especially for maybe an introverted person. All of that feels hard. But when they get into a game, all of a sudden, for some children, they may feel just that they are a completely different person and they want to play and they can communicate better because they're not face-to-face and they apply strategy and they, they feel like a winner inside the game. But in real life, they may not feel like a winner. That isn't necessarily escaping difficult life situations. While that may be a concern still the same that they're using the gaming, it could still provide some benefit to our kids who may be more introverted, um, as we're going to look at after this and look at some of those benefits. But really what I want to say to that gaming to escape life situations would be if you've got, say, a 16-year-old and they're just not interested in getting their driver's license at all, or they used to play football and baseball 
and they just don't want to play those sports anymore because they just want to be home and video gaming. I got an 18-year-old who should be planning for college, and he doesn't. He just wants to stay home and live in my house and be a gamer forever. Or even if you still have an adult child, maybe didn't go to college or did and came back home and they're not working or they say they can't find a job and they're just kind of living at home playing video games, that would be where we're really concerned that the video game has got to a problematic or overusage type of situation. We always want our kids sort of in this picture of a well-balanced childhood to be able to balance these video games. Yes, it's a great source of entertainment. It can be a way to communicate and hang out with friends, but there should also be physical activity as well as hobbies, face-to-face relationships, and of course, their education and work. Another warning sign is skipping showers or meals to play. This actually stems from several youth in other countries dying, young men dying because they were dehydrated. They were not stopping to drink water or eat. They were even wearing diapers so they wouldn't have to get up and stop playing so that they could use the restroom. So of course, if we were to see any of those signs, we would know we've got a big problem on our hands. Generally, I do know that teenagers don't like to always shower and they may not have the greatest of hygiene. But if they're not coming down from meals, even though you're, that's an expectation in your home, definitely a concern. Again, if they're not taking care of washing their laundry or even taking a shower, brushing their teeth, all of those things that are basic expectations, yeah, it might happen once or twice, but if it's happened on a regular basis and all that while, it's all because of the video games, not necessarily just because they're lazy or super tired, but if it's because of the video games, then you definitely have reason for concern. Another warning sign may be poor performance in school. And of course, you know, some kids just don't like school or they don't perform well as it is. And, you know, again, gaming, they can feel very successful inside gaming. But I think where the concern would be is if they were good students and all of a sudden they got into one game and their grades start falling, then that would be a concern. Or you're getting emails or notifications from the teachers that they're either sleeping in class, maybe it's because they're playing games all night. Maybe they are using the school-assigned Chromebook or computer that they should be doing research or work on, and they're playing games. And while I'm there, I'll say, don't assume that just because it's a school computer that kids can't use that to access the games that they want. There are many ways around it, and kids are tech-savvy enough to know how. They can easily install the game onto a thumb drive, as well as even a browser onto a thumb drive stick in that computer and work around all those, maybe use a VPN if they have to. So they do know how to do that. So that would be really where it's concerning. Can you not sit through your eight classes a day or how many of classes they have a day and learn during that time that you have to be playing video games? And then finally, another warning sign would be exhibiting irritation or even violence when forced to stop gaming. Now, as a parent, we've probably all experienced one of those times where we're like, hey, I told you it's time to get off. It's time to get off. And they get really mad because they were just about to win or so-and-so just got on and I really wanted to play and they're very frustrated. But of course, if it becomes violent, then you definitely know you have a problem. Them just being irritated with you, well, that kind of happens just about every day when it comes to teenagers and their parents. What we as parents need to recognize is that In order to keep them happy or pacified, we don't just say, okay, 30 more minutes, okay, 30 more minutes. We don't want to do that because then we're encouraging 
their overusage and we're reinforcing the fact that if they whine, complain, or get irritated, that they are going to get what they want, right? We never want to do that. Normal irritation when they are getting off the game or being forced to stop playing, I think is normal. Always, if you can, make sure you're setting a very specific time. Hey, it's one o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. You can play for two hours. So at three o'clock, I expect you to be off. If I happen to see the clock, I'll give you a warning and remind you. But if not, you're expected to get yourself off at three o'clock. Make sure that you are giving them those very clear expectations and then holding them accountable. If they, you go upstairs and you find that they are still on the game and it's 3.30, well, you can either take the gaming time away for the next day, but apply that immediate consequence. Something has to teach them that they need to be accountable for their own amount of time played. So if you do experience some of these warning signs, what can you do as a parent? So let's talk a little bit about that. If you're concerned immediately, if you don't have a set time that's allowed for your kids to play, make sure that you have a house rule. And your house rule may be different for different aged children. I have a nine-year-old who only has 30 minutes to an hour. And then I have teenagers that range from 13 to 18 who have anywhere from two hours to unlimited based on the way that they play and the way that they are thriving at that age. Some games are more concerning than others when it comes to sort of their addictive qualities. A lot of parents know about Minecraft and Fortnite. Those are really popular games that sort of swept the country. And those, while they can be moderately compulsive or addicting, a lot of times it's the first-person shooters as well as the multiplayer role-playing games that are the most addictive. So make sure you know what type of game it is that your children are wanting to play. Follow the ESRB ratings for each game. If you don't know whether or not, um, say, for example, Halo 5, it's a T for teen game, even though it is a first person shooter. And maybe your son's like 12 or 13 and all my friends play it. And I really, really want to play it. And you're just like, ah, I don't know. In my heart, I kind of never wanted to allow first person shooters. It just seems like a little much. Go onto YouTube or go onto Twitch and search for other people's streams of Halo 5. That way you can actually watch the gameplay. You know, is this actual footage that you think that your 12 or 13 or 14, however old, child is going to be able to handle? What about the language? Is that something that you're willing to allow them to hear and be engaged with? If not, then apply the not yet principle. I know that your friends are all playing it. But I just don't feel that this is the right time for you to be on this game. Another thing that you can do is to not allow devices in the bedrooms, but try and have them play in public spaces. This allows you to sort of co-view, maybe even co-play along with what they're doing. And it keeps them more accountable to keeping to those specific timelines that you're requesting of them when it's in the bedroom at night. Of course, you know, Teenagers don't have the best self-control as it is, so they often will cave to that temptation and maybe they'll play all night. Then again, you'll see the poor performance in school and so on and so forth. Now, if for some reason it's just not possible because of space or location of the internet and the device has to be or the computer has to be in their bedrooms, then turn the Wi-Fi off at night so that they can't be playing all night long. Another solution that you can apply, especially for younger gamers, 
If you maybe have seen some of this behavior in your older kids and you have some younger kids in your home, you're like, I just don't want to go through this again. Really limit the online versus the offline games. Kids can play video games that are offline and still be engaged and entertained in the same way. They don't have to be online playing. That's where all of the the algorithms come in, where they're being sort of engaged through this computer learning and how they're playing for this maximum engagement. So if you can choose to play a game offline, for example, my nine-year-old does not get to play online games at all. He loves Minecraft, knows that you can play online on Minecraft, but right now he's under the not yet principle in that he's nine. And when he's a little bit older and more mature, then he'll be able to play online simply because it just takes a little bit more maturity to be able to handle the random people you might encounter on a Minecraft server. So if at all possible, try and limit the online versus offline games really until hold out as long as you can before allowing those online games. Now, with that said, I feel like it's important to just sort of mention, even with all those warning signs, that there are some benefits that have been documented through internet gaming. So one of them is the social relationship aspect. As I mentioned, your child may be introverted and it's really hard to be out maybe in the school dynamic, engaging with peers in that way if they're introverted. However, inside of a game, you may gain more confidence. You may find communication is a lot easier. It's a great way to hone those communication skills as well as learn how to be respective. If you're a jerk on a game or on a server, they're going to kick you off and you're going to learn really quickly that you have to be respectful to the other players. Video gaming can also build cognitive abilities in the brain. Both my husband and my father-in-law both love to video game. Now, my husband doesn't do it very much just because of our busy lifestyle, but my father-in-law, who's in his 70s, actually really enjoys still playing video games in his free time. But he applies a very different principle, I would say a cognitive principle, to how he plays. He isn't playing to just be entertained and to pass the time, but he's applying strategy on all aspects of a game in order to beat the game. It's not just let me jump on for an hour and have some fun and chat with friends, but I'm going to see what I can apply and using this strategy or that strategy and tactic, how can I actually beat the game? So that is one way. Not all kids are going to be designed that way. Not all kids are going to have the cognitive ability to be able to apply that strategy. But for those who do, their gaming is a very different type of gaming than the general child who's just wanting to be entertained. I believe that it's those kids who are applying that strategy and really building their cognitive abilities through this game. Those are the kids who are winning, for example, the Fortnite World Cup, because it takes that sort of strategy and cognitive application in order to beat a game like that. They also believe that gaming can help build goal making. Again, I think that falls under those cognitive abilities when you're setting goals for how far you want to get in a game. That helps you also set goals for the balance in your life. And another benefit is producing, learning how to be a game maker, if you will, learning the code that goes into building a game. There are several platforms, if your child really loves video gaming, that you could encourage them to learn how to code. I mean, one simple game is Roblox, which is popular amongst young kids, but you can actually learn to code and build your own video games. Other software that you can find online, like Unreal Engine, 
does teach you the code and allows you to build your own game. One of my own children used that to develop a gaming app and actually publish it on the Android store. So learning how to take that passion and creativity that they have for video gaming and be a producer is so much better than just being a passive consumer of all of that entertainment. Overall, as we've mentioned so many times, we want video game and screen entertainment, whether that be social media, Netflix, whatever that type of online entertainment is, to be just one piece of a bigger puzzle when it comes to their well-balanced childhood. Our kids should be balancing their video game time with physical activity, whether that's an organized sport or simply working out or taking a walk every day, whatever that may be, and even hobbies, whatever hobby they may have. We also want to balance with relationships. Yes, especially during a pandemic, it's really easy to connect online with friends, and that's fantastic. But as life continues to get back to normal, we definitely want to encourage our kids to be with their friends face-to-face, engaging with other people as much as possible while staying safe in that. That also includes not giving up or sacrificing family events to play a game. If you're spending a Sunday afternoon, you're taking a picnic or you're going you know, to a park or you're doing something all together as a family, that child should be a part of that. That's that face-to-face, real-life relationship that is so important as part of their well-balanced childhood. And of course, their education and their age-related milestones, such as driving, working, becoming this productive member of society. If for some reason that video game or that screen entertainment piece becomes too large and you're losing your physical activity or you're losing school and education and they're not engaged in face-to-face relationships, only online type of relationships through video games, then there is definitely a concern. As a parent, you've got to be brave enough to step in and say, hey, I think this has become a problem. Maybe you're, you're playing eight hours a day. Let's cut that back to half. You know, would that be fair enough for you? Have those open conversations and they're not going to love it because they're doing what they love, which is giving in to their desires. And that's to be online playing video games because it feels good. But as a parent, be brave and do that hard work of recognizing the problem really as early as you can. Implementing boundaries and standards as well as you can for the whole home. And of course, just love them through it. Because remember, this technology is not neutral. They didn't just decide one day, hey, I'm going to go, you know, try video games and see if I get addicted. It's not like that. It's so gradual and they don't even realize how much their brain is being controlled by the computer learning and algorithms going on through the games. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. If you missed anything in the show or if you have a story that you would like to share about video game addiction, overuse, or problematic usage, you can email us at podcast at braveparenting.net. For an in-depth look at how you can build strong character using the technology children love, pick up a copy of our book, Managing Media, Creating Character. It's available online at Amazon. And don't forget to subscribe if you're listening on iTunes, Google, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. Thank you so much for listening to the Brave Parenting Podcast, where we believe that character is greater than media and every child needs a brave parent willing to set a new standard. Until next week, go and be brave.